It's Sunday morning, and we are in a study on David and Saul. Uh, they were the two, the first two kings of Israel. We're talking about Saul's attitude towards David. Saul was the first man king. God was the first king. The Bible says that God was the king of Israel, who was God of the Old Testament. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He told the, he told the Pharisees, I am the I am God of the Old Testament. They took up stones to stone him. And he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And he was talking about the 18th chapter of Genesis where these three men walk up to Abraham, and the middle one is Jesus. He is the I am God of the Old Testament. In fact, um, the Lord told Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, I am have sent me, or tell Israel, I am has sent me. So Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And we're talking about Saul's attitude. Saul was the first king, the first man king. The people in Israel cried out, give us a king. So God says, I'll give you a king. Samuel Samuel was the prophet of God at that time. And Samuel was telling the people, you need to bow to the living God. He's your king. He's got lightning bolts and earthquakes and uh, fire from heaven, and you want spears and bows and arrows. That don't make any sense. But he said, since you insist on having a king, I'll pick one out, and I'll pick him out of the wrong tribe. That will be King Saul. Saul was the son of Kish. Now, later on, we're, we're talking about Abner. Abner. Abner is the commanding general of Saul. Now, Kish, Nair, Abner comes from Ab, and Nair. Ab is the word father, and Nair was Abner's father, so it means the son of Nair. And Nair was also the father of Kish. So, Abner, who was Saul's commanding general later on, he was he was first cousin to Kish, so he was Saul's uncle. Now, if that don't make any sense to you, I'll come back and hit that again. But this was a family situation in Israel. The kings of Israel were. Now, we're talking about when Saul Saul became the king. He was chosen to be king in the ninth chapter of 1 Samuel, in the ninth chapter. And then when he was chosen to be king, he didn't do anything right. When you get into the 13th, 14th, and 15th chapter, Saul is always rebelling against God's orders, particularly in that 15th chapter. That's where the Lord told Samuel to tell Saul, to go down to Amalek. Amalek was a town just as you were coming out of Egypt. Let me see if I can find a fine wall over here. Just as they were coming out of Egypt and they were leaving after 400 years of bondage, they're coming out of Egypt 
And this is Egypt right here. Here's the Mediterranean. Here's Cyprus and there's Crete and Athens and Greece. And this is what we would call, we call Turkey, but that was Asia Minor, the seven churches of Asia in there. And they were coming out of out of Egypt, and the, when, as soon as they got into this peninsula here, in the south section of that peninsula is Mount Sinai, where Moses has to go to get the law of God. So as soon as they get over here, the Amalekites attack Israel for no reason. They had no, nothing provoked them to it. So God tells Saul 200 years later, I want you to go down and utterly destroy Amalek. Now, God has his reasons. I don't know why. God knows. He knows how evil they are at Amalek. They're called the Amalekites. He said, go down there, destroy the town, burn it to the ground, kill every animal, kill every person in there. Jim, why would God do that? Well, probably because... God had laws for the children of Israel. And he gave them these laws in Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers. He gave them these laws in the law. The law is math is, uh, I'll get it right in a minute, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament that we call a Pentateuch. So Saul was... He was supposed to go down and destroy everybody in Amalek. And I started to say the reason he probably did that, Israel had all of these quarantine laws. And that kept disease from spreading. So God probably had Saul kill everyone in Amalek because he didn't want them bringing back disease back to Israel to infect Israel. Nobody else had all of these quarantine laws. People wonder why would God have everybody killed there? First of all, the babies would go to be with the Lord because they hadn't sinned yet. But he told him to kill all the sheep, all the camels, everything that moved, kill it all, and and level it to the ground. Well, Saul went down there, and he came back in the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, and Saul did not do anything halfway of what God said. He brought a bunch of the sheep back, brought a bunch of camels back, and he... He just did everything wrong. And Samuel went to him and said, didn't you do the will of God in Amalek? He said, yes, I did. And he said, then what is the bleating bleat? Bleat is the sound a sheep makes. What is this bleating? When a sheep goes by, that's a bleating sound. What's the bleating of this sheep? And Saul said, well, I, I couldn't help it. Uh, 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 the people made me bring these sheep back to offer sacrifice. Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. You hadn't done anything that you were supposed to do. God's taken the kingdom from you and going to give it to your neighbor in southern Judah that's better than you. And that's when Samuel went down to southern Judah he went to the house of Jesse. Jesse was a righteous man. He had eight sons. And he made seven of them to pass before Samuel. God said, I hadn't chosen any of this. He called the sons of Samuel of this. 
said, I hadn't chosen this. And he said, is there not any more left when seven of them passed? He said, there's the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said, I'll not leave till you bring him here. So Samuel waited, and they, one of the, Jesse says to one of the boys, go get David. So David comes in. He's the youngest of eight children. And God says, this is him. Anoint him. It was God's idea to pick David. God picked David. David didn't pick himself because David kept saying about himself, who am I to be king of Israel? Who am I to be a king's son-in-law when Saul would say, I'm going to give you my daughter to marry because you go out and kill Goliath. He goes out and kills Goliath in the 17th chapter. This is more than just a chapter of killing Goliath. This is where Saul's anger and rage just fumes at David. He is enraged at what happens. Because as soon as David, after he kills Goliath in that 17th chapter, in the 18th chapter he comes in to the presence of Saul, and they hear in the distance women singing this song, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul said, oh, get that man. And he starts to hate David, and he actually picks up a spear and throws it at David, and he misses because it's God's program for David to be king. Now, that was God's idea, not Saul's. But Saul gets involved in what we call the orge. I'm putting it in Greek up here. It's actually O-R-G-E. But the ada on the end of a word is feminine gender. And Saul is involved in this orge. Orge is the wrath of a covetous man Now, covetous is the wrath of covetousness or when a man wants to get involved in any kind of devious, underhanded dealings. The word covetous is the word pleonectes. Pleonectes is the word covetous. It means to want more. Has anybody ever wanted more besides me? Or has has everybody wanted more besides me? (laughs) I'm afraid we have. Well, there's no temptation taking me, but such as is common to you. And if I've wanted more, then you've wanted more. Because I've already admitted I've wanted more. But it means to want more, to be filled with avarice. Avarice is greed. I want it no matter what it takes to get it. I'll work three jobs to get it and I'll cheat a little on the side and I'll operate in gray areas and make it look okay. I've been there. Now, we're talking about what Saul was involved in. This orge is common to all men and women. The Bible says that it is man's very nature in Ephesians, the second chapter and verse 2. It's man's nature to be filled with orge. Now, but God has not wanted us to be involved in orge. Let's go over here to 1 Thessalonians. Then I'll come back to Saul in a minute. 
First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians five and verse nine. For the Lord hath not for God hath not appointed us to wrath. That word wrath is the word or gay. The word appointed is the word tithemi, T-I-T-H-E-M-I. It means to lay out before us, lay out. It can mean to be to put. When Jesus said, I lay down my, he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay down my life for my sheep. It's the same word as lay. It's a real common word. It means to lay out, make a track, level something. It just means to level. God has not appointed us. He's talking to the Thessalonians. He's saying he hasn't appointed me and you as believers to this orge. This is not, this is our problem. We've got to give up. I've been involved in the orge as much as anybody I've ever known. I used to get enraged in my 30s when I, things wasn't going my way. You ever been enraged at things? I've been enraged. And if I have, I know you have. Simply because the Bible says that my sins are also your sins. You may not admit it. But he hasn't appointed us to wrath, but, see what it says, but to obtain Salvation. So obtaining salvation is the opposite of the orge. Whatever obtain salvation means. Well, let's find out, okay? Obtain. Obtain doesn't mean to get. The only way salvation comes, this word is the word peripoesis, P-E-R-I-P-O-I-E-S-I-S. Now, peri is a common Greek word that means around. Poesis, P-O-I-E-S-I-S, means to make, to make, but it doesn't mean just to make, simple make. The common word for work in the Greek is the word ergon. Ergon. That means to toil. That means to toil. To work. But this word poeo, ergon, means to work or toil. But poesis is something that God does to us. When the Bible says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Workmanship created unto Christ Jesus unto good works, not works of self righteousness, but the word is agathos, A G A T H O S. Agathos is the same word in Romans 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for good, beneficial. Anything that happens to you. It's beneficial in your life. If you're a believer, everything works together for our good. Everything. You mean the bad things? Yes. The evil things? Yeah. 
Getting a ticket? Yes. Uh, you mean getting sick? Yep. You mean getting cancer? Yes. Everything works together for our good. To them that love God, those that love God, of course, love is the word agape. You can't just say, I love God, because that word agape has to do with walking in the commandments of God. Walk in commandments. That's the relation. Agape, you've got two words been translated over to love in the New Testament in, in the English. They're not the same word. You can't even use them as the same word. You have the word phileo. And you've got all of these other words that are forms of that. Philos, friend, philia, affection. And phileo means to like or have an affection for something. That's not this word. That's not the word. And we know that all things work together for good. It's not that word. The word, that word is love means to walk after God's commandments. You say, Jim, I can't walk after all his commandments. You will learn to walk more and more every day if you belong to him. You, but what are the commandments? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that the command? Is that all there is to the commandments of God? No. Every time you have an imperative mood in the Greek, an imperative is a command. Now I've got a list of all the imperative moods in the New Testament Greek. But only if Jesus is commanding something will it happen. Every time Jesus would give a command, it's going to happen in your life as a believer. If he says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive. The word is agonizomai, A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Agonizomai it comes from, we get our word agonize. Jesus is the one that said strive to enter at the straight gate. Now, if Jesus said it, it's just as much a command as he was in the beginning when he said, let there be light. He was the God in the beginning. All things were made by the word. All things were made by him, the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. Therefore, that was Jesus in the beginning. And when he says, let there be light, there's going to be light. And when he says, strive, he speaks that word to everyone that can hear the truth. Now, the Bible says the hearing ear and the seeing eye and seeing eye the Lord hath made even birth of them in Proverbs 20 and 12. Seeing I, if you can see and hear the truth, God made that for you. And if you have a hearing ear, even when the Bible says, 
he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Here is the word A-K-O-U-O. And here in that text, every time it's in there, is an imperative mood. So you will hear, but here is also the same basic word as obey. Obey is the word hoop. A-K-O-U-O. It means to hear under or be subordinate. Do you have to abide by your boss's orders at your work? Are you subordinate to him? If you're subordinate, you have to obey him. We are subordinate to Christ. And when he says, hear this, we have to obey him. You you say, but I don't want to obey him all of a sudden. Well, nobody does. Takes years and years of fire and trials to make us surrender and give up to him. We'll go through fire and trials. You go through fire, fiery trials, persecution, and you name it, you go through it till he breaks you and bends you to his will. And then you start agonizing. Agonize, agonizomai, comes from the word agon. Here's the agon right here. Right here. This is the agon. They called the, the arena where they fought the gladiators. The Christians had to fight the gladiators and had to be fed to the lions. And if you're going to be in that agon, you got to lay your life down and your body down for Christ. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable is the word logikos, L-O-G-I-K-O-S. It comes to the word logos, which is the word word. It's your word service to God to give your bodies a living sacrifice in the agon. We're in this agon of life. And it's not a matter of whether we want to or not. If you belong to him somewhere in your life, you're going to start agonizing over how you live. Has anybody ever questioned the things that they do and they say and they talk? Everybody should raise their hand at that. We're supposed to always be concerned about how we talk and live in front of the people. Now, if the Bible says, humble yourself under the hand of God. Humble is the word T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. It means to level self, and it's an imperative command. You don't... you. You cannot be humble to man and God at the same time. If you're humble to God, you'll be bold to man. And when you're bold to man, they'll call you a smart aleck. I know it all. Somewhere out there in life, somebody don't believe God, is going to say, you believe in Christmas, it's pagan, there's something wrong with you. You don't believe in Jesus. No, the reason I don't celebrate Christmas is because I believe in Jesus. He said, therefore, you shall you keep my ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs. Christmas is an abominable custom. Take me all day long to go through that. So, walking in the commandments of God, which is agape, the Bible says this is love. 
the word is agape, Second John 6, that we walk after his commandments. There's nearly 1,900 imperative commands in the New Testament. Everyone that Jesus says, he's going to say, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Straight is the gate. Straight, stenos. You can't go to heaven without the straight gate. You're not going. Straight means to press through a narrow opening. It's the narrow way. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And only a few find this way because this is too uncomfortable if you're not one of God's elect. Straight, narrow is the word T-H-L-I-B-O. It is the verb form of T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, which is the word tribulation. You have to go through the tribulation way. And why, what did Paul say? He said, we must, we must tribulation enter the kingdom of God. It's the word tribulation every time you find it. You have to be entering into heaven through the straight and narrow way. You're not going to heaven otherwise. I'm not talking to everybody. I'm only talking to God's elect family. When the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, whom foreknow, whom he did prognosco. Get our word prognosis from that, G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Who he knew intimately beforehand. Gnosko comes from our word gnosis, meaning to know. This means to intimately know. He knew us in him before the foundation of the world. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We have to be holy. I can't be self-righteous and holy. I didn't say that. Boy, I'll say something. People say, you said so and so. No, no, no. Holy. When I say holy, I don't mean some Nazarene or some Pentecostal acting like they're better than everybody. The word holy is the word hagios. Hagios means pure, pure, or single. It has the idea of being single in one substance. Well, we're made up of the inner man and the outer man. Paul said, I've got this inner man that serves the law of God, and I've got this outer man that serves the law of the flesh. Who will deliver me from the body of this death that I am? He said, I keep doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing. You've got two men in you. The inner man is Christ in you, if you're a believer. That's the inner man, and the inner man cannot sin. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. But Jim, I know that I sin. Well, I know you do too. 
Well, what about this? Well, the same writer said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not on us. You've got an inner man, which is Christ in you, if you're born again. And you've got the outer man, which keeps on sinning, but God keeps whipping and scourging over a long period of time, sent us through all kinds of fire so that we will learn. Now, let's back up to where we were. Poesis. Poesis. That means something that's a beautiful workmanship of God. We have not been appointed to wrath, to orge. That's not what God wants in us, so he's going to have to beat us mercifully until we stop doing a lot of what we've been doing. Is anybody ashamed of what you've done? Wonderful. Thank you. The Bible says that when we repent, we have to be ashamed. We have to take the blame. It says that over there in Jeremiah thirty-one eighteen. You have to be ashamed. You have to bear the reproach of your youth. You're going to look back at when you were young and say, why did I do that? God, I'm so sorry. God, I wish I could wipe that out, but you can't. But his blood wipes out our sins in the inner man. He's got to give us a new body one day to take the place of this body. But he's going to put us through fire and trials so that when we get old like me, you don't want to do the sin that you used to do when you were 25 or 30 or 35 back here. And I don't want to do that no more. I'm tired of the old Jim Brown. This word workmanship, where are his workmanship? It's kin to this word. Uh, he had to point us to wrath, but to obtain, to obtain. The word obtain is not our word obtain. It's the word, it is the word poiomai. P-O-I-E-O-M-A-I. P-O-I-E-O-M-I. See this word, poeo, poesis? This is a form of this word right here. And poeomai is a form of this word. This word, workmanship, doesn't mean to ergon. Remember, that means to toil. Do we have to toil? Well, yes, we do, but that's not concerning our salvation. This word poeomai means something of great beauty in the eyes of God. It's beautiful in the eyes of God, and it means something like a tapestry. We're a tapestry. We're an artwork of God. It's like a mosaic. That's what poeomai means. We are his workmanship, so we are we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain. Peri means around. And poeomai, which we get the word poesis, means to make something into a tapestry. So to make us around into a tapestry, it means to cover all over. Cover all over. Well, there's only one covering. What is that? Huh? It's blood. It's blood. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
Now that's true baptism. Baptized does not, whether people like it or not, does not mean to dip in water or sprinkle water. It doesn't mean that. You can, I've got dozens of books in my library at home. You can go into McClinic and Strong, look up Baptized. Mr. Strong will tell you, along with a dozen authorities will tell you, Baptized, if all you had to do was be dipped in water, sprinkle water, you could just run down to the Church of Christ and get them to dip you and you're home free. Right? Were you at Church of Christ? <laughs> I thought you were. They think, well, you can just dip somebody in water. Uh, Dave, <laughs> I got to tell this again because they weren't here the other night. <laughs> Dave was a heavy metal DJ. And he played Pantera and, and Slayer and all those guys. And he knew them all and he used to interview them all. And he was a heavy metal DJ in, in Dallas. And across the street from where he lived was a Church of Christ. And he went over to talk to him one night. He just kind of searched. He didn't know what to do. And they said, you got to be baptized in water. So they, so they called some guy, got him down to the church, said, baptize Dave in water. They said, well, what do we do now? And they said, well, let's go get a beer. <laughs> he said, you celebrate, when you, you celebrate whenever you do something great. Since I'm on my way to heaven now, course he didn't know anything about the bible then he was searching for it and he started watching me on tv in dallas and moved up here and now he works with the ministry he don't think he needs to go get a beer now but he thought that's what you do you go get a beer now now that you're saved and you're not got dipped in water well that's not the word baptize baptize is comes from two words baptizo and bapto Baptizo means to cover, like Perry, wrap around, to cover. And Bapto means to stain with a dye. You say, but I thought it was water. Wasn't Jesus washed in water? Yes, he was. But what was that? That was a proselyte washing. Jesus, did Jesus need to be baptized to be saved? <laughs> I just thought I'd ask a ridiculous question. So, a blood baptism was a death. It was to be martyred. When Jesus asked James and John, he said, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He wasn't asking them, are you able to be dipped in water? And one of them shouts out, oh, no, I'm allergic to water. I read an article about a little girl the other day, and she's allergic to water. And they have a hard time with taking care of her around the clock. Wouldn't that be something if you thought you had to be dipped in water and you find out one of your kids is allergic to water and they can't be baptized, so they have to go to hell because they're allergic to water. It's ridiculous. So... Baptized means to be covered with the stain or die, and a blood baptism was a death. Well, what about Jesus being washed in water? The Pharisees had something they called halakha. It was their law. And they ran the 
they ran the government in Israel in the first century. And they had something that they called proselyte baptism. And they, you had to, you had to, according to the Pharisees, you had to be circumcised, washed in water, and they call this a new birth, a new birth. And they had to offer two turtle doves at the temple. And if you went through this, then you could become a member of the kingdom of God or of Israel. That was a naturalization process to bring people into Israel. Why would Jesus go through that? It was in the law that he had to be circumcised. It was in the law, and his mother came to Israel at the first part of Luke to offer two turtle doves. But he goes to John and said, let's fulfill all righteousness. The Pharisees said, if you would go through this process, circumcision, washed in water, that they called a new birth, and two turtle doves, that you were officially a proselyte Jew. They kept calling Jesus a Samaritan. And they hated Samaria in northern Israel. Reasons for that. Not going to go into it. But the Pharisees hated northern Israel. If Jesus would be washed in water, they had to accept him and listen to him. We don't dip people in water. What happened to these rituals? They were all nailed to the cross with Christ. Nailed. What do you mean by that? If they had a contract in Israel, they had to act out the contract. When Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, a testament, they came in, last will and testament. They acted it out. That's what they were doing. They called it performing a contract. Same thing we used to call that in real estate. You're going to perform the contract. You're going to go out here and show the house, write a contract, get everybody on both sides to have the uh, termite letter uh checked out to have the house checked out and when you perform the contract you go to the closing they call that performing a contract but they always had to have two witnesses and they had to have the two contracting parties when they wanted to invalidate the contract they would take these witnesses and the good contracting original contracting parties out in public and they would say is everybody in agreement we're going to invalidate this contract they'd say yes they drive a nail through it. That's why Colossians 2.14, Paul said, speaking concerning the baptism of Christ, which was blood, and speaking of circumcision of Christ, which is of the heart, he said, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of its way, nailing it to his cross. All rituals were blotted out. Now there's only one baptism. One baptism... That's what the Bible means in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and it's blood. It's not H2O. Even bab- the, con- the, the uh, translators, they wrestled with that word baptized. When they got to it, they didn't know what to do with it. Because it wasn't a verb originally. It was an infinitive, and you don't even know what that is, unless you're an English major. 
It was an infinitive. And you've even got some infinitives. It was a noun with verbal character. It means that the it means that the blood has to come from an outer source, that the staining has to come from an outer source, it has to come from God. It's a noun with verbal character. So when when these translators got to it, they said, We don't know what to do with it. You get that from several of my books. So they said, we will take the word baptizo and change the last vowel to E and we'll call it baptize and we'll anglicize the word and put it over here in the New Testament English Bible. We will turn it from an infinitive, a verbal noun into into a verb and it's not. I don't care what professor says. Any of you professors out there want to call me and tell me this is not true. I dare you. <laughs> They're not going to call me and tell me it's not true because it is. Well then how is it that all these people can be involved in this? How are they involved in accept Christ? Accept Christ is not true. Will you accept Christ? Only after you're born again. But the natural man, this physical man, natural sukikos, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. That's, I didn't make this up. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man receiveth not. Dekomai, D-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. That's the word receiveth. comes from the word deck, which is the word ten. And we know you'll recognize that when I say decade is ten years. Ten years. So the natural man does not decomai. Decomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been given. So, physical men do not accept Christ when they're not born again. Will you accept the things of God only after he births you? How does that happen? That's the miracle of it all. You must be born again. But we're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's will. John 1.13. That's a King James Bible. By the will, by the thelema. By the determination. We're only born by the determination of God. How it happens is a miracle. He picked out his people before the foundation of the world. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He's chosen us to be holy. Hagias. Hagiazo is the word hallowed. It's a verb form of holy. Hagiazmos is the word holiness. So when you're holy, you're taken through the fire and God's going to burn out self. If he puts you through the fire, you'll quit self. Does anybody recognize that they quit being who they used to be? Huh? 
Thank you, Charday. She's the only one raising her hand. <laughs> I'm not who I used to be. My family wouldn't even recognize me. That I'd have to introduce myself to them and say, I'm Jimmy Brown. Well, you know who you are. I said, no, you don't. Not anymore, you don't. Because I, back, I was being a fool trying to be rich and famous in the music business back when they knew me years ago. I'm not that anymore. So, baptize. Peripoesis, there's only one baptism to make around. We're not appointed to the orge like Saul got involved in. We're not appointed to that, but to obtain the one true baptism. What would be the opposite of orge? Orge, the opposite of orge, not losing. Orge is losing it. Just getting, getting beside yourself because somebody's beat you or somebody got the promotion before you and you think, I deserve it. I've been in the company longer than they have. I deserve more than they deserve. When you think that way, you're not thinking spiritual like Christ. He said, look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Saul had a problem with the fact that David had been made king of Israel. And this wasn't David's idea. It was God's idea, not David's. So if God says it's going to be, Saul is going to try to kill David. He says, I'm going to get him. That's my throne. He can't have it. Saul is an enigma to me. I just think about him, how that he was a, not a goodlier man in all of Israel, tallest man in Israel. And he just got, so he would go into rages. He went to a rage in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel. Just went crazy out of his mind. But when David got appointed king, he said, I'm going to kill him. Well, you can't kill King David. But Saul was the king in the eyes of the people from the 16th chapter. He was a king all the way from the, from the 9th chapter where he was chosen. But when David was chosen to be king, <laughs> when God chose him to be king in the 16th chapter, and Saul is king, Saul, as far as the people were concerned, is king all the way to the 31st chapter. David was the king in the eyes of God, if all the way to the 31st chapter from the 16th chapter. So David is God's king, and Saul is the king that God appointed, but Saul is ruling. Saul is ruling, and David is running for his life. Because in that ninth chapter, 19th chapter, Saul goes on a campaign, campaign to kill David. All because the women are all because the women are singing, singing David has killed his ten thousands. Do you think these people are any different than we are? Jealousy would run rampant. Now let's go back over there. We'll talk some more about Orgay. Saul is the prime example of all the men in the Bible. That he was a believer. God had him anointed. 
in the 10th chapter and in the 12th chapter, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. The Spirit of the Lord never came upon a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction. And he, Saul, this really amazes me. Saul trusted Samuel, the prophet. But when evidently when Samuel come up and says, God's got a new king instead of you, he just ignored that. Just ignored him. And Samuel was a prophet that everyone was afraid of. You see, the prophets could call fire from heaven. When Saul, when, when Samuel went down into southern Judah or southern Israel to anoint David as king, he got to the city limits, and, they, and the, men out, the men met him out by the city limits sign. They said, what are you doing here? What, 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 what do you want here? What, what? This is a prophet out here. He can call fire from heaven on us. And they didn't want to have prophets around. They'd rather they'd go, to, go down the road and see somebody down there. We don't want to fool with you here. And they were all scared of Samuel. Now let's go back over here. Now, we've gone through. Saul wants to kill David to the point in the 18th chapter, he throws a javelin at him. And he misses him. And then you've got you've got Saul and Saul's son is Jonathan and Jonathan loves David and believes David is supposed to be the king and he submits to David's will and he's always trying to deliver Jonathan out of his father Saul's hand he's always Warning David. At one point, David came in. David said, uh, David runs for his life in the 19th chapter. Saul told, told the man, go and get David and bring him to me so I can kill him right here in front of everybody. I want to kill him. And then Jonathan goes in front of him and says, Dad, why do you want to kill this man? He's never done anything to you. Okay, I guarantee you I'm not going to kill David. Just that quick. And he keeps over and over, keep trying. But every once in a while, he say, "Okay, I won't kill him," and then he go right back on his, on his uh, journey, trying to kill it. Now, we have gotten over to in the twentieth chapter of. Well, let me let me kind of review some of this. In the twentieth chapter, verse thirty. Twentieth chapter, verse thirty. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. That's his son. And you back up to verse, to chapter 18, to chapter 18, and verse 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall we... Wait a minute, I'm at the wrong verse. Excuse me. Chapter 18, and verse 10, And it came to pass on the morrow that evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played in his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David, I'll kill him. But he missed. And then go over here to 20 in verse 3. Now he's mad at Jonathan, his son, 
because his son is trying to save David's life. And he says here in verse 30, And Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto his son, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman. (laughs) He called his wife, or Jonathan's mother. He had several wives. He's calling a perverse, rebellious woman. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and to the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. But Jonathan knew the kingdom wasn't going to be his. He knew it was David's. He knew that Jonathan was a believer. He was a wonderful man of God. And his father was a jerk. That's all you can say about Saul. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. But he's already guaranteed over there in verse 6 of chapter 19, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Wishy-washy. Saul is, but he never is serious about not killing Jonathan. Uh, Not killing David, excuse me. Then over here in verse 20, uh, excuse me, 21. Verse chapter 21. And David is running for his life. And this is when he goes to Ahimelech, the high priest, for some help. So Ahimelech gives him the showbread, and he's hungry. And he gives him, I don't know how Ahimelech ended up with the sword of Goliath, but he gives the sword of Goliath to David. And while he's there... At with Ahimelech, the enemy is sneaky. He's in the, just in the shadows. You remember who that was? Doeg. Huh? Doeg. Doeg. That's right. Doeg is not from Israel, but he's one of Saul's men, and he sees Ahimelech doing these things. He says, "I'm going to, I'm going to tell Saul on you." Then when you get to twenty-eight, uh, twenty-two and eight. Get to 22 and verse 8. And this really gets me. Saul is feeling sorry for himself and he wants some self-pity. And he says here that all of you have conspired against me. You're all trying to conspire against me. And I've got all these thousands of people in my army and David's got 600 and you're trying to hurt me. Then this is what Saul says. There is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that feel sorry for me. That's all. I want somebody to feel sorry for me. Well, you're the king, you idiot. (laughs) Nobody needs to feel sorry for you, and you need to bow to the will of God and step down. What gets me, he gets over here into chapter 23, and David is running, And he goes to where the Ziphites know where he is. The Ziphites is just a tribe there living in in Israel. In verse 19 of chapter 23, And then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hecala, which is on the south of Jeshurun? Now therefore, O king, Come down according to all desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be deliver him into the king's hands. 
And Saul said to these Ziphites, this guy had a mental problem. Listen to what he says to the Ziphites. Something similar when he said, nobody's feeling sorry for me. Here's what he says. Saul said, blessed be you of the Lord, you Ziphites, for you have compassion on me. I think Saul is funny, some of the things he says. Now, I'm just kind of reviewing some of this. There in 23... In 23 and 9, David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. The ephod was the breastplate of the high priest, and David says, I can talk to the Lord, and David talks to God. But Saul tries to do the same thing, and God won't hear him. Now, 23 and 21. 23 and 21. No, we already read that. Now, 23 and 27. Now, this, the end of this chapter, Saul has David surrounded. All because of his orge. He ain't going to let God take his kingdom from him. He's trying to blame it on David, but God made him king. If the powers that be bypass you and give somebody else the promotion or the raise rather than you, that's the way it's supposed to be. We as believers are not supposed to have our way. We're supposed to take a stand for the truth. Something people really have a hard time understanding Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Woe, why is the word, O-U-A-I. It's a cry of damnation. You're damned if the world likes you and they speak well of you. If you, you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God, James 4 and 4. Now, know you're not that friendship with the world is enmity, extra, hostile to God. If you can get the promotion, you're playing a game with the world. You're, you're supposed to work hard, do a good job, and take a stand for Christ. And when you take a stand for Christ, that's the part that's going to cause people to pull away from you. Take a stand for the truth. Tell people you need to repent of sin. You can't live the way you want to. And we can. Well, if we if you're popular in the world... Has anybody ever wanted to be popular? Now, don't lie to me. Has anybody wanted to be well-liked? Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Vincent. Everybody wants to be well-liked. If you want to be well-liked, then you have to go out in the world and compromise, don't you? <laughs> you don't stand for truth, because if you stand for truth, people get to where they back away from you and go, don't say anything to Jim because he'll tell you what it is and we'd like to be we like to feel good if you're going to get the if you're going to get the raise instead of the heathen over there you got to compromise expect as a believer to be bypassed because that's going to happen to us it does people bypass the truth all the time so 
if that's the will of God, if people don't like you and they get mad at you, then they're supposed to. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Dioko means you will be running away from people that want to hurt you. And you're going to get hurt a lot of times standing for the truth. But we have to learn. This is a hard thing to learn. I preach this all the time. God says, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And all these things work together for good for those that love God. So in everything, give thanks. Be thankful. When you're committing your life to Christ and you're not living wrong, you're not living the way you shouldn't live, then expect everything to happen the way it does because all of this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That is, not if you're a believer, but if you're a believer committed to him. David was a believer committed to Christ. In this last few verses of chapter 23, David is trapped by Saul. He can't get away. Saul's got him surrounded. How is David going to get out of this? He's not. God has to get him out. So God sends the Philistines to attack Jerusalem. And a runner comes in and says, King Saul, King Saul, the Philistines are attacking Jerusalem. Saul says, let's get out of here. Let's go defend Jerusalem. So God had these 3,000 men pull away from David who had 600. And they were trapped. You see, everything's going to work out for your good when you're committed to Christ. I don't mean kind of committed. I mean committed wholly to his word, to truth. Living right, being godly. Now, when you get to 24, Saul is trapped in a cave. David has Saul trapped in chapter 24. Wasn't David's idea. David goes into this cave, and then Saul goes into this cave to rest a while, and David cuts off his part of his robe. Then when Saul leaves, David comes out of the, the cave, says, I got that part of your robe. I could have killed you. In fact, when he was in there, Abishai, David's nephew, who likes to kill people, he just liked an excuse to kill somebody. Uncle David, I'll kill him. No, you don't kill the Lord's anointed. That's the Lord's anointed. Leave him alone. So they go on their way. Then in chapter 25, always remember, Samuel dies in the first verse of chapter 25. Therefore, Saul has got no way out. He didn't know what to do with that Samuel. He wants to go talk to Samuel from time to time. But Samuel's going to tell him, look, the kingdom has been taken out of your hands, and you won't bow to it. If we can learn to bow to everything that's going on, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. He works everything according to his good pleasure, and if you're a believer, everything that's in your life is happening the way it's supposed to happen. Everything. Then, chapter 26 Saul is caught one more time. He's caught in a trench this time in chapter 26. David comes in there. And David and Abishai, loudmouth Abishai, his nephew. 
how do you know he's his nephew? Well, the second chapter of First Chronicles gives David's lineage, and it says his sister Zeruiah had three sons. Who were the three sons of Zeruiah? This David's sister. I mean, yeah. And who who are the three sons of Zeruiah? Does anybody know? Joab, Abishai, and what? You don't know the third one? Asahel. Asahel is not the guy that gives David a hard time. It's Joab and Abishai. Abishai rides everywhere that David goes. And Abishai says, Uncle David, I'll go kill him for you. David would say, shut up, Abishai. <laughs> and in essence, that's what he's saying. Asahel was killed during a, a war. War games is what they were having. It was war games they were having. And Abner, this is after Saul is dead in Second Samuel. Saul dies in the 31st chapter of First Samuel at Gilgal. He dies. That's his pay for being full of orgay. God will hurt you if you're full of orgay and you're supposed to be living for him. He'll hurt you bad. He hurt Saul bad. He killed him. He's going to chase David. God says, I'm tired of this. Your day is over. God will get tired of you living wrong. He may cripple you. He may kill your kids. You say, Jim, would he really do that? Oh, yeah, he did much of that in the Scripture. He may do some damage to you you can't get over. And then he'll say, do I have your attention now? People don't think that I had to learn when I got older. I got old. And I learned that God would straighten my life out. All he had to do was cause me to be committed to him. I wouldn't commit to him. I wanted to go out there and get rich in the world. I wanted to go out and buy 50 houses, and I knew how to buy them in real estate. And God had to crush me and stick me in the hospital and nearly kill me. He had to get a hold of me. Maybe you're at a place he hadn't got a hold of yet in your life. Now, when you get into chapter 26, Abishai goes with his uncle David, and they catch Saul in a trench. And God causes a great sleep to come upon Saul and his army. And David just walks over there with Abishai, and Abishai says, Uncle David, you want me to kill him now? He says, No, he's the Lord's anointed. Leave him alone. If God wants Saul dead, he'll kill him. Well, when Saul... When Saul wakes up and finds out, and David stands over on one side of a, a, a space away from Saul, and David hollers at Saul, but it's not Saul he's hollering at. He's actually hollering at Abner. Abner was Saul's commanding general. You've got 
Let me show you something here. This will take you a while to get a hold of all of it. But you got Abner. Got Abner. That's Saul's commander. Commander. And let's just put Saul up here. Saul. And you have David and his commander. That's Joab, his nephew. Now, this is amazing. Abner is a really a good man. Saul is not a good guy, but he's a believer. David is a man of God, and Joab is a killer. David's got a guy he got. A, he wants to get rid of his, his commander. He would love to have the idea of having somebody like Abner. That was his uncle. Oh, not David, excuse me. Saul's, this was Saul's uncle, Abner. So you've got this war going on between these two. When Saul dies in the 31st chapter of 1 Samuel, when he dies, Abner steps forward and takes over northern Israel. Northern Israel. And when Abner steps up, he has full intentions of giving the entire kingdom to David. That's what a good man he is. He knows that David should be king. But he's willing to follow Saul's commands because he's under Saul. Well, when you get to Second Samuel, David's troops led by Joab, are Saul is dead by Second Samuel. Abner is commander of northern Israel. Southern Israel is actually southern Judah. Is Judah. But in this in this wrestling match that they're having, this war games they're having. They're in war games and it gets out of hand and they start killing each other. They're not supposed to be doing that. And what happens over in Second Samuel is Asahel, who is who is Zerah's son, Asahel starts chasing Abner, this commander. Now this man is a tough as nails in a fight. You don't want to chase Abner, especially when you're a young man and he's the brother of Joab and Abishai. Asahel starts chasing Abner in these war games. And Abner turns around and yells at him, Stop chasing me, Asahel. You catch me, I'm going to kill you. And he catches Abner. And Abner runs him through and kills Asahel. He's put out of commission pretty early in this story. So Asahel is dead. And that's got Joab and Abishai. They hate Abner and they want to kill him. But Asahel had no business chasing Abner. 
because Abner was, to be commander of the army, you have to be tough. And he was tough. But he told him, he said, if you catch me, you're going to catch me because you're one of the fastest runners in Israel, but you're going to die if you catch me. So that's kind of what happened to Asahel. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But Joab and Abishai, they are after Abner. So Joab, one day, he hears that Abner is going to turn over Israel to David. So he goes down and he finds Abner and says, Come here, brother. Puts his arm around him as if he's going to uh, say something nice. Stabs him under the fifth rib with a knife and kills Abner. That's one of the murders that was completely unprovoked. Joab was some, he was a pistol. That's what we call him. He was something else. You cross him, you're going to get in trouble. In fact, he's the one that chewed David out for crying over his son Absalom. It was Joab that killed Absalom. David is crying. And Absalom is trying to overthrow the kingdom and try to take it from his father, David. And when David hears that he's killed, but guess who killed him? It was Joab that killed Absalom. And Absalom was the son of David, and David is crying, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab walks up to David and says, What is the big idea? You crying over this man that wanted to take your kingdom, even if it was your son? He sits there and chews out David. Boy, this is without a doubt. My favorite title for this message is The Young and Restless in Israel. (laughs) David had problems. Then, all right. Now, then after this, Saul's in the trench. They find him. David says, one of these days, in chapter 27, verse 1, after he catches Saul in this trench, after Saul is saying, David, my son, my son, I've sinned. After Saul says that, David said in his heart, I'm going to perish one of these days by the hand of Saul if, I, if something's not done. And God says, I'll take care of that. So Saul is, at this point, Saul is going to attack. Here's, here's northern Israel. Oh, here's Israel. Here's northern Israel. And they and Saul is commander of northern Israel. And David is running throughout Israel, running away from Saul. And Saul finally comes to the point he's going to go up here and attack the Philistines at Gilboa. That's a city in Israel. He's going to attack the Philistines at Gilboa. The Philistines, they've got this land down here southwest of Israel. And that southwest corner down there, it's a, it's a little strip. We call it the Gaza Strip. It was called the Land of the Philistines. 
Philistines. And Gaza was right up here. And Gath was a little city there. And Goliath was from Gath. And he was a Philistine. Now, when we get to chapter 28, Saul wants to go... Well, first of all, David has made friends with the king of Gath, running from Saul. But Saul, but David is very deceptive with the king of Gath. One day, David goes out to attack some Philistine towns, and Achish, the king of Gath, says, Where have you been? And David says, I've been attacking Israel. And he had, he's been attacking Philistines. And he's a makeshift friend with Achish. Achish likes David. And then David says, I want to go into battle. When you go fight Saul, I want to take up the rear. And you're going to fight Saul here. And this will be my troops here. And Mr. Achish, you're going to be in the middle. What is David's idea? He's going to attack from this side while Saul attacks from this side. And he asked Achish, can I go with you? And the Philistine princes say, no, 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 no. He can't go. He is our adversary. That's really funny because when he says here, they say he's our adversary. Over there in in chapter 29, verse 4. Achish tells the princes of the Philistines, I want David to go with us. He's going to bring up the rear. That's not even David's idea to bring up the rear only. He's not just going to reinforce. He's not going to reinforce Achish at all. He's going to attack Achish from the bottom side while Saul attacked. David's going to defend the man who's actually trying to kill him. Boy, that is a lot of love for your brother, isn't it? He's going to try to save Saul from the slaughter of the Philistines. And then the he tells Achish tells the uh Achish tells the uh, princes of the Philistines, David wants to accompany us. They said, no. They could see better than Achish. Achish was being affected by his favoritism towards David. There's verse 3 of chapter 29. Then said the princes of the Philistines, what do these Hebrews here? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David the servant of Saul, the king of the Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, and have found no fault in him since he fell unto me in this day? And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. They got angry at Achish because he's favoring David, an Israelite. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return that he may go again to his place. What was David's place? Does anybody remember? Ziklag. Ziklag. 
Achis had given him a town, Ziklag, telling him to go back to Ziklag. We don't want him here. Go back to Ziklag. Let him go to his place, which thou hast appointed him. It was Achis that had given him that city. And let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. The word adversary is the word S-A-T-A-N. The word satan just means an adversary. That's all that it means. And God was called, was called David's satan when he caused David to number Israel. God was David's adversary. David made a lot of mistakes. Now, and Achish tells David, you can't go. Now, back up over here to chapter 28. This is where we are. Do I have any time? I'm going to read some of this chapter. This is where Saul, he's just grasping for straws as what to do. He can't kill David. He's been caught by David twice. He caught David once, surrounded him. Then God sends some Philistines in to attack Jerusalem. He has to leave. And in this 28th chapter, Saul goes to the witch of Endor. Now Saul has outlawed witchcraft in Israel. In fact, look at verse 3. Now Simon was dead, and all of Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Remember the word familiar spirit? What? Oh, what does that mean? Bottle. And when the Septuagint translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, that's because Alexander the Great, that was about 200 B.C. And Alexander the Great died in 320 B.C., and Alexander the Great had given all the world its Greek dialects and glossa, Greek. So they said, since everybody in the world is speaking Greek, let's translate the Old Testament Hebrew to Greek. And they called that the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, when you see LXX, that's 70 in the uh, Roman numerals, in LXX, that's a, a sign for Septuagint. They took 70 translators to translate it. And when they translate it over to Greek and they get to the word ob, they don't translate it bottle. A bottle was a, a goat's stomach that they put a strap on and they would dry the goat's stomach so they could put their juices in there. And, and the people who had learned ventriloquism would learn to throw their voice into that balance, talk in a squeaky voice and pretend to be talking to the dead. It was a con. When the Bible says, thou shalt not suffer witch to live or a familiar spirits, if you go to familiar spirits, that's a man who's claiming to be talking to your ancestors and your ancestors are either in heaven or in hell. And they're lying to you. So he says, 
So when you have a bottle, well, the way they translated in the Septuagint bottle, they in translated bottle, ob, instead of bottle, E-N-G-A-S-T-R-O-M-U-T-H-O-S. That's the Greek word that they translated bottle. It means in, gastro, is the word stomach. If you have gastrointestinal problems, you need to take Pepto-Bismol, whatever. And muthos, it means a myth within the stomach. Those guys are lying. Even the translators in 200 B.C. knew that it was a lie. It was a con. You can't listen to these people say, I've been talking to your mother, or I've been talking. No, you haven't. Not, if, not unless she's alive, you haven't been talking to my mother. Now, so, they outlawed familiar spirits and wizards out of the land, including witches. And Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Sunam. And Saul gathered all the Israelites, Israel, together and pitched in Gilboa. That's where he's going to fight the Philistines. When Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him, Not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, which was, it's a very mysterious thing. It's something, I did a messages on it. Won't go into it right now, but the Urim and the Thummim were the method by which you could talk to the Lord, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servant, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And he's outlawed this. And his servants to him, And behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. I said last week, you probably get the word Endor off of bewitched from this. I'm quite sure they named her. So Saul is going to try to pray to God. But you can't pray to God if you're not living right. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him God heareth. You've got to be worshiping God and doing the will of God. You're wasting your time praying because you can't pray if you're not living right. Prayer. Prosukomai. That's the word prayer. It comes from pros meaning toward, and UK, meaning to will or desire. It means to desire oneself towards the will of another. Prayer means to bow to the will of God. You can't be bow to the will, bowing to the will of God if you're not living right. You can't pray when, dear Lord, I pray that to you uh, uh, make me successful in my business so I can buy all the things I want. I'm sorry, but you can't. That's not prayer. Prayer is willing oneself. To, didn't Jesus say we're to pray, Thy will be done? And didn't he pray the night before he died, Father, be thy will, let this cup pass me, and nevertheless, Thy will be done? Didn't he pray that? In fact, Saul tries to pray several times, and he can't, because God won't hear him. If you look at prayer, look at Psalm 66. Psalm sixty six eighteen. Psalm 
If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And look at Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 28. Psalms, Proverbs 28. Saul has tried to pray several times that God won't even acknowledge his prayer. And Saul was a believer. Psalms 28 and 9. Oh, Proverbs 28 and 9, excuse me. Proverbs 28 and 9. I love this I love this verse. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Your prayer will stink. I see these people praying on TV. Oh, our prayers are with you. Uh, you got shot and killed in a nightclub. Our prayers are with the family. And some politician that's saying that doesn't know, have any idea what prayer is. Saul tried to pray several times. God says, I'm not listening to you. Verse 7, chapter 28. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me this woman, this witch. Saul disguised himself, verse 8, and put on raiment, and went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto you and the woman said unto him behold thou knowest what Saul hath done how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and wizards and she's talking to him out of the land wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die and Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall be no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. I want to talk to Samuel. He's been dead for two years. I'm going into battle. I don't know what to do. And when the women saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, Oh, I can't do that. God brought Samuel up so Samuel could tell Saul, you're going to die tomorrow. You've just rejected my will on everything. You've been trying to kill my king. And tomorrow Samuel says, your sons and you are going to die in battle at Gilboa and you're going to be with me. That is the cost of the orgay in your life. God will destroy your enemies when he's ready, you don't have to worry about your enemies. God can do what he wants to do. Do I have any time, Mike? Huh? Two. Two minutes. I'll read it to you again in verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee. This is Samuel talking to Saul. And into the hand of the Philistines tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. You're going to die. And so is Jonathan. So is your other sons. And the Lord, and he was a believer. And he committed suicide the next day. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. False Saul fell straightway all along the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel 
and he didn't have any strength in him. I guess not. For he had eaten no bread all the day and all the night. I wish I could go through all of this. And he goes into battle with the Philistines in chapter 31. And he knows they're going to come after him. And he says, if they get a hold of me, they'll torture me. So he falls on his sword and commits suicide. And he goes to be with Samuel. Samuel was with the Lord. If you have any questions, it's not the outer man. You can't... Saying if you commit suicide, you go to hell. That's ridiculous. You can't... If I ask each one of you, can you remember the last sin that you committed? You don't even know the last sin you committed. It's kind of like you... uh, here you are, this real good Christian. You pull up to this light, and there's a woman in a convertible next to you, and she's got a low-cut dress on. And you look over there, and you sin, and you lust, and all of a sudden a meteorite hits your car and kills you. But you have to go to hell because you got a sin you couldn't confess. Hell no. That's ridiculous. Nobody's ever going to finish confessing all their sins. I'm through. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. I love this book, Lord. Thank you for your words. Teach us to come out of our orgay. It's deadly before it's over with because you're the one that's going to execute what needs to be. Thank you for truth. We'll give you praise for all things. Lead us to your elect and fight our battles for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we just about got through 1 Samuel, hadn't we? We just about got through 1 Samuel. Where are you going? You love Butler? No, golly! Tracy from Oklahoma sends her love to everybody. Okay. <laughs> All right. She says she loves everybody. I want everybody, but I don't want to yell it out. I'm sleepy. <laughs> we love you. Love Terry from Oklahoma said hello, everybody. And she loves everybody. You guys come here. Hey. You you were- you were talking all about me up there, so I couldn't raise my hand. I just put my head. <laughs> I was talking about you. Was I preaching to you? Well, then change your ways, brother. <laughs> I'm trying. You're trying. I think I'm going downhill more than I'm going up. Oh, Two okay. steps forward, three steps back. Two steps, one step. Forward, I think that message back. hit all of all of us.